On today's episode, I'm joined by Lana Popovich. Lana is a shadow integration coach, helping individuals realize goals and aspirations through working with their unconscious, combining Jungian psychology with disciplines of Eastern and Western alchemy traditions. Hear all about it on today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Hello, Lana. It is so nice to see you. How are things? Hello, Doug. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Things are great. How are you? I'm very well. So I'm in upstate New York and you are somewhere. Where are you? You look like it's a very exotic location. It's New York City. It's <laughs> New York City. That's a great background. I love that. That's wallpaper Thank in you. your apartment or what is yes, it? Yes, it's my it's a wallpaper that I put myself. Nice. Good job. Thank you. So you are a person of many talents. You're you're an acrobat you're a neuro-linguistic programmer you're many many things roller skater if i recall um and you are also a human excellence specialist and also a shadow integration coach now i know of the shadow concept coming from jungian psychology is that what you're talking about here a shadow integration coach yes so shadow refers to unconscious parts of our psyche, uh, things that uh, include any like personal taboos, childhood traumas, things we are, you know, ashamed of, feel uncomfortable with, and we tend to, or the mind, the ego tends to sweep them under the rug, Mm. pretending they're not there. But the shadow actually continues to operate from the deep, um, exerting its influence on our everyday life, unbeknownst to us. So how do you do this? What is a what is a shadow integration? Does does everybody have a shadow? Yes, we all have a shadow, and actually, there's a really uh, easy way uh, to kind of uncover a little bit of uh, our own shadow. And one way to do that is to examine our projections. So, like how we see other people. So, for instance, you know, think of somebody um, who whose behavior might be highly triggering. Mm -hmm. to you or to us right so especially if that behavior doesn't have anything to do um with us so if it's something that really angers us there is like a little clue there is something personal in it so with with the with projection in in investigation it's we become like a bit of a sherlock holmes because you have to be a bit of a Sherlock, sorry. Right. <laughs> uh, you have to be a bit of a Sherlock to uncover it because the shadow operates from the unconscious. So we're not really aware that it's there, but we can see kind of the traces of it manifesting you know, in our, in our life. So uh, when we witness another behavior that's somehow giving us red flags or is making us really angry, that's an indication that we ourselves embody elements or aspects of that kind of behavior it might be to a much lesser extent but nonetheless it's still there 
and we cannot tolerate it within ourselves. So when we see it kind of projected out, it becomes this kind of whole, whole thing that we really fixate on. Hmm. So, so that's like one example. And the issue with the shadow is that, you know, we go through life believing that whatever we see out there is sort of coming from the external reality at us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of us realizing that it's our interpretations that we play, we, we see things through the filter and our sort of reactive habits and things like that come from our projections. Okay. Great. Um, so, so yeah, I can certainly see that. I, I, you know, I, often we've heard people say things, I've said things like, oh, that person makes me so mad or, or whatever. So we're, we're saying that they are, this thing out there is causing me to feel these feelings they're making me mad but in fact it's me that makes myself mad based on the interpretation of this external behavior and in a sense it's a reflection of something that's you know deep inside myself that i'm trying to suppress i'm trying to say right like that part of me and so i'm seeing that part of me projected out into that other person and that's that's where the investigation comes in because if it's out there and it's bothering me then actually it's something inside Right. And the interesting thing is when we have worked, and I mean, the shadow integration is a lifelong process, let's face it. But the interesting thing is like when we work through something, through some difficulty that we have, Mm -hmm. and we kind of integrate it, well, first of all, we see it, then we accept it, then we integrate it. Then when we see it in other people, what arises, there is no longer a version that arises. It's rather kind of like compassion and a sense of connection and like thinking like, okay, how can I help this person? Like I see where they're stuck. So that's like a pretty good sign that, you know, you've worked through some stuff. Well, that's really interesting. So have you been studying Jungian psychology? Is that where this is coming from? Okay, so the main, my main training, uh, yes, I'm studying Jungian psychology. more i'm starting to learn it more formally i'm taking a master's course in analytical psychology at the moment but um, my sort of main education around this came from studying and practicing psychospiritual traditions that um, have sprung from you know the western the, the kind of ancient alchemy so you have i study or i've been immersed in two different branches of alchemy the eastern one which is through tibetan buddhism uh, specifically tibetan buddhist vajrayana uh, or tantra vehicle which a lot of people associate with sex but that's uh that's completely mistaken and then what was that you broke up there for a quick second people associate with what oh people associated with sexuality but that's like a wrong interpretation of tantra Oh. which I can I can get into that too. And then the other branch, the Western branch is to Western hermetic tradition. Okay. So, you know, by being formally initiated into these two tra- tra- traditions and having mentors and lamas and, you know, people sort of put me through a certain kind of training and studying. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, psycho-spiritual disciplines um, that are part of that training. They're all very kind of psychological in nature. So a lot of, um, you know, like work with projections is something that, you know, we have both in Tibetan Buddhist and Western Hermetic tradition. And then Buddhism itself, Tibetan Buddhism in particular, has its own kind of form of psychology. It's a very psychological kind of model. And there is this 
relatively new thing where you know the western therapists are getting really interested in that model because it's very consistent with the western psychological model it's very useful so those are the kind of places from which i drew um it's a foundation of my practice okay very very cool so yeah if you wouldn't mind tell us a little bit what you mean by tantra if it's, it's not because i do so have tantra, first of all like what is alchemy you know we all hear about these sort of things like oh transmuting letting sorry i have <laughs> um <laughs> okay most people are just listening they're not seeing the wardrobe math oh okay uh transmuting um you know, we hear the things about like alchemy being associated with transmutation of base metals or lead into gold, right. you know, and we, we sure. kind of, but what, that's actually kind of a symbolic concept, uh, you know, of transmutation of something that's unrefined and kind of base, which in psychological terms, that could be the unconscious, right? And the okay. shadow and, you know, yeah. the alchemists used to consider this primal matter as something that's just kind of abhorrent, something that's available to all people, you know, it's all kind of in, in mystical language, right? But, you know, so nobody really knows what the primal matter is, but we have definition of what it means because the alchemists operated under these secret, you know, they kept their things secret. So the base matter again, you know, what is it that we all have and that we dislike? And shadow is like, psychologically speaking, you know, we all have parts of ourselves that we dislike, that are petty, that are, don't feel you know good enough we feel maybe insufficient insecure and we try to kind of hide that from ourselves mm -hmm. and others uh, and then the idea is basically using that and turning it into its kind of more enlightened counterpart so you know in, in tibetan tantra there is this concept of uh, taking emotions like anger you know greed fear um, and using those states as a vehicle or fuel um, for our inner development. And I'll give you an example. I mean, this is kind of more also in the context of the Buddhist practices and sadhanas, but um, the most practical way that I can kind of present this is, um, you know, if we, if we feel the certain, well, this is now kind of getting a little technical, but if we feel um, anger, right, we can we can strip the story that surrounds that situation that's keeping that's getting us fired up, right? Mm -hmm. We kind of strip down the story. We stop engaging in this kind of blame and just complaining, like, "Oh, they did this, and it's not my fault." So you take all that out, and what you're left with is just pure energy of anger. And if you think about it, that's like a very powerful state you know and you can you know you can take that energy and channel it into something constructive so you know you could take that and practice these techniques uh for inner inner development or you know do your meditation practice or things of that nature so that's like one kind of practical example um there was something else i was going to say but can't remember it left my mind it, it will come back to me okay so you know i find this also really fascinating because of, of a variety of things one is i studied union psychology quite a bit and the the metaphor of turning lead into gold is a great 
metaphor for what we do in psychotherapy or coaching is to you know sort of help the person transform into their the golden part of who they might be but also that idea of the projection of our, our of our shadow stuff out onto somebody else i think one of the reasons i've always felt that relationships are like our best teachers you know it's because you know so often we we fall in love with this person who's out there that oh gosh, if they loved me too, then I'd be complete, I'd be whole. So we're projecting onto them all of our hidden good stuff that we you know, we want to love about ourselves kind of thing. But then then when we're in the relationship with them, then we start seeing all their, their bad stuff, which is also <laughs> projection of what we're not valuing in ourselves. So it's a great teacher, really. It's a great reflection, great mirror for our own self-development to, to, to get into relationships and to, to work on these things. Um, does that come into your practice at all? Do you work a lot with relationships or? Yes, yes, I, I work with relationships too. I've actually worked as an intimacy coach for like a really long time. But the thing that you say, it's yes, shadow can be projected in both positive and negative way. Mm -hmm. So that's like a good thing to mention. And uh, you know, from the Buddhist model of mind, there are three uh, sort of poisons and their attachments, uh, which people, you know, translate as desire. Desire in and of itself is not a problem. It's grasping to desire, grasping to outcomes, wanting mm -hmm. things to be the certain way. That's attachment, right? So that's a poison. Then there is aversion, which is, you know, the hatred, um, and then ignorance. These are the three issues. And what you just described kind of represents that like so first when we let's say meet somebody and it's a honeymoon stage our mind exaggerates the positive qualities of the person and that's basically what attachment does attachment takes something and makes it look more delicious right so mm -hmm. that's the filter um and then when we start to kind of see the reality of the person then the aversion arises and what aversion does is it makes things look worse than they are but in reality like what is out there is neither what we see with attachment nor what we see with aversion it's something else it's something more neutral um so uh, there was something i was gonna get into um but so there are actually um a couple of things or methods that we use in Tibetan Buddhist tradition and also in psychology, and that's active imagination. Right. And that's the see, that's also very kind of tantric in nature or alchemical in nature, is where you take the thing that's unconscious um, or kind of problematic and you use it as kind of a jumping board uh, into, into your kind of healing or. What do you call that springing board you jump off springboard, the, diving diving springboard yes into 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 kind of a healing process you're familiar with active imagination right mm -hmm. sure yeah yeah so there is um uh i was gonna talk about there is this practice from 11th century uh this is kind of a pre-buddhist practice actually and it was created by this yogini long time ago in tibet and it had to do, it's called should, and should means cutting. And what it refers to is cutting of the ego, ego grasping. Because you see from the Buddhist, from the model of mind, you know, the Buddhist, the Tibetan Buddhist uh, pers perspective, our main problem is the ego. And ego and the shadow are kind of like interconnected. So 
um, the practice uh, consists of kind of visualizing and kind of imagining that we're, I mean, it's a, the practice is a little bit intense. It's very shamanic in nature and it consists of us visualizing ourselves, you know, chopping our body up and offering it to all sentient beings. And that's obviously, you know, it's done in imagination, but as we know, the unconscious speaks in images. Like it, it, you know, we can communicate with the unconscious through images. So this becomes a way to kind of cut our attachment to our body by doing this practice. Now, rewind forward to present time, there is a teacher in the Tibetan Buddhist lineage who is actually a Western person. Her name is Lama Tsultrim Alioni. And she took that old 11th century practice and kind of, uh, you know, stripped it down of some of these intense elements and turned it into um, an exercise that's more palatable to the Western mind. And a lot of the psychologists and coaches can use it in their work with their clients. And basically what it does is it's called feeding your demons. Okay. So when we say demons, we refer to any sort of um, ailments within our body-mind continuum. It could be illness, it could be our fears or any kind of issues that we have that we're holding on to it, that we're also kind of struggling with, that we dislike. And the process is to um, allow it to kind of manifest in front of us in our imagination. So you kind of give it form, you know, you investigate what color is it? Uh, what is the texture? What does it feel like? And then you personify it and then you start the conversation and you personify, ask questions. You personify so you and start it, a conversation with it? Yes, you give it, you give it form. Okay. And this is really useful because we have, when we have something going on in our life, when we have some aspect of ourselves we're struggling with, mm -hmm. we don't even want to admit to ourselves that it's there, right. let alone engaging with it. So this is like a very skill, you know, skillful way for us to um, engage with our afflictions and because only then we can transform them. Like we, we have to be able to see something first in order to change it. Mm. So you engage in this kind of conversation, you know, trying to find out what this entity wants, what it needs and how it will feel when it gets what it needs. And in this sort of conversation, you tend to derive answers that reveal the positive intention of this kind of shadowy figure because mm -hmm. as we know in nlp every behavior um has kind of is coming from the place of you know positive intention so it's very interesting and it becomes so then the process basically leads one um to making peace with that part of ourselves and creating an ally Oh, yeah, so I didn't say, so basically, uh, after we extract information about what it needs, we see ourselves transforming into nectar of that thing which this entity needs, and we kind of feed it, and we see ourselves kind of, and this is also very interesting, because, like, you're transforming your body into the food for this sort of aspect. So mm -hmm. this is also has an element of that, like, you know, ego cutting. Um, yeah. And so, so it's a really interesting, I mean, I've done this practice many times, obviously, and it's very, it can be very beneficial, very helpful.
it's a it's a wild image of saying okay so i'm going to transform my body into the nectar that this entity needs to feed and then i just am literally feeding it of myself it's a fascinating visualization it's a healing you're, you're actually healing your affliction and it's, so it's, 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 it's a part of you right so these yes. these, these things we think of as like this we personify it, we talk to it over there, but it is a projection of yourself. So you're feeding yourself of yourself. Uh, it reminds right. me of an old line from um, uh, <laughs> Raise High the Roof Beam Carpenters and Seymour, an introduction by that guy who wrote the book. Um, <laughs> there was a, song, a visualization where the guy noticed that this child was was god and in the in the, the milk that he was drinking was god and you know it was everything was god and he said it was, it was god pouring god into god was the description but in a sense that's what we're doing and whoever wrote um that book i'm sure is a very good author but um <laughs> i hate it when i get these brain freezes in the middle of a podcast but um Nevertheless, it's a fascinating thing. And what you're talking about, I think, is really vital for people because the the shadow is often what we talk about as like, I, I want to get rid of this part of me. Like, I, I would be fine. I would be a great person if only there wasn't this part of me that overate or drank too much or did this thing or, or thought that thing or got so angry all the time. If I could get rid of that part, then I'd be okay. But you you don't want to get rid of those parts. Every part of you is a good part. Right. It has an intention that maybe is coming out in, a, in not the best way. Right. Um, we have they, to integrate it, and that's integrate. that's our job. It's like that's we are already whole in a kind of certain sense, but we're not whole because we keep on denying an entire part of us. So, like I like to think of. You know, if you look at our conscious mind, you know, you think of a, uh, an iceberg floating, uh, floating, uh -huh. I mean, in the water, right? Yeah. The tip of the iceberg is the conscious mind, but then uh -huh. all that's under the water is the unconscious. There is like a lot going on there. And uh, Jung, you know, we talk in spiritual traditions, we talk about concept of enlightenment. Jung used the word individuation. It's like the same thing. Yeah. And Absolutely. You know, he said that the way to achieve individuation is to take everything that is unconscious and turn it into conscious. Mm. And, you know, there is a prerequisite in actually doing shadow integration work, and that is cultivating compassion and equanimity. Uh, and basically, why, why is that? It's because if we don't have capacity for compassion and self-compassion, we can't tolerate seeing these aspects of ourselves and therefore our ego will simply not allow us to see it it's like yeah. a self-preservation mechanism right. that's why like in tibetan buddhism you know compassion is like the most fundamental and you know when i say compassion i don't mean mere empathy because that's very different actually uh, empathy is just kind of like feeling for somebody and if you see somebody suffer you just feel bad and it's like kind of an impotent thing Mm. compassion in tibetan buddhism specifically like they did uh this research on a monk who would um kind of bring up um compassion and then he would bring up sense of empathy and he was uh, uh, connected to the machines so you could see activity in his brain 
and two different parts of the two different parts of the brain would light up and compassion is associated with parts of the brain that's proactive so compassion is really kind of like i i see uh what's happening and i kind of feel for the person but i know how to kind of get in there and and, and assist and help so it's kind right. of wisdom and compassion are tied together um yeah. That's great. And there are actually, there are exercises to develop these things. Like it kind of sounds ridiculous, like, like a waste of time, you know, Western world would be like, oh, plus time to like sit there and practice compassion, you know, but it's, it's actually fundamental. There is no moving forward without it because the way we see other people, the way we relate to other people, it's directly kind of connected with how we relate to aspects of ourselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. it's like that. So, yeah, so that's something that's kind of like important to keep in mind. And, and one way, you know, it kind of goes both ways. It's like you can, you can train in compassion by learning to be more kind to yourself. But also like next time you see people doing something and you feel triggered instead of indulging and like criticizing them in your mind, you can just like try to understand the difficulty that they're dealing with and, you know, feeling stuck or whatever it is. And slowly, slowly, like you start to change the way you respond to your projections mm -hmm. and that automatically, you know, affects how you relate to your shadow. That's really great. It's really great. Thank you. That's I love that. That's brilliant stuff. And and it does tie in a lot with the other things, you know, the like you've you mentioned the NLP, etc. Um, and just by the way, my unconscious mind popped in a little little late, I'll say, but thank you uh, for the JD Salinger uh, information. So the author okay. I was trying to quote before is JD Salinger. Is that Catcher in the Rye? Yeah, he wrote Catcher in the Rye as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> my unconscious mind. Like, like to play little tricks. I've got that part of me that's a trickster. Oh, and I wanted to add something to that feeding your demons practice. Obviously, like people don't have to do, you know, there is another way to utilize the same concept of that practice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I if I'm dealing with somebody who is like really overwhelmed in the moment or um, <clears throat> you can basically, you know, in working with clients, you can simply have them identify you, you kind of like begin this journey because um, when people feel bad, they just want to feel better, right? They, mm. they, they want to kind of, uh, like this is where binge behaviors begin, like binge watching Netflix or eating or too much sex or substances, mm -hmm. right? Because people mm -hmm. are trying to kind of escape that kind of feeling. Uh, but there is a way, and again, this is like an alchemical process, is to use the negative feeling and to engage with it by you know, first seeing like, okay, what, you know, I'm feeling angst of some kind. And then you kind of go in and, and you, you identify where is it in my body? You know, what is the sensation? Is it pulsating? Is it moving? Is it, mm. uh, and then you kind of, you know, you continue to engage with it and you're like, what color is it? Like, does it have a texture? Does it have a name? And you start to kind of, and then you can sort of go in a direction of, uh, you know, when was the first time I ever felt this? And that can be a window into, you know, going like integrating with changing your personal history, for example, yeah, sure. and NLP strategy or like, and I think it's really, um, it's kind of a skillful means to 
utilize our own pain to help us kind of grow. And uh, Thich Nhat Hanh said, do you know who, you know who he is, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He said that, that our mind, our brain and our mind has an innate capacity to extract wisdom from, uh, from angst, from difficulty. But the way to do that is to kind of stay with that feeling. So yeah. like that's kind of a training we do in meditation. You know, when you're sitting, you yeah. sit with whatever is. You're not trying to kind of run away from it. You're just experiencing yeah. it. And, you know, one way to disarm it um, is, again, to stop that uh, conversation you know, dialogue in the mind that goes back and forth, the, the conceptual elaboration, but just to move into the sensation and then kind of engage. And, yeah. But yeah, hopefully that's... No, that's, helpful. again, again, brilliant. And, and what I was going to be saying before is that it, it does tie in with many of the other things that we've been studying. I, you, you took NLP from me many years ago. And, yes, uh, and hypnosis. And Ericksonian hypnosis. And that's what I was going for. That's, that Stephen Gilligan taught that in Ericksonian hypnosis, one of the things we do, and he calls it, I think, the coaching state, is that when you have a feeling that's like that, that you've been describing that you want to get rid of or change or the angst or the, the fear or whatever it is, that instead of saying, okay, I'm going to binge watch Netflix or whatever, and to just get rid of it, I'm going to just say, hey, welcome. Right. And just thank you and welcome and, and just sit with it and be with it and, and listen for the message, listen for the reason for its being there and listen for the gift that it brings, you know, and, and, and have that openness and compassion and a willingness to, to be there and engage. There is something really important, and this may be, encouraging for people to know is that shadow has its own kind of gold alchemical mm. gold so like think about uh, joseph campbell you know he talks about hero's journey you oh. know where the hero he first starts and then he goes into the underworld and then you know i don't know you you find the dragon and you have to slay the dragon and then you get the gold or the princess well, the gold or the princess is what happens when you, okay, okay, in this case, we don't slay our dragons because you, you can't kill you off your friends with the dragon. Yeah, exactly. You tame it. It becomes dragon. your pet. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then basically there are things uh, in the shadow. There are hidden skills and uh, things that get kind of unleashed as a result of integrating. Yeah. So there is something to be gained, yeah. which is very cool. I like that. Yeah, very, very, very true. Yeah, and, and it ties in a lot of, of the Ericksonian work. Remember a story Erickson used to tell about um, how he used to slop out the... Did I ever tell you that story about when he was... He said when he was a kid as a, on the farm, he used to learn that you, when you um, slopped out the the stalls of the of the cows and the, the sheep and the horses and stuff, you didn't... You know, you, you took it out behind the barn and, and dumped it there and covered it with straw. You didn't go poking around back there. He said, but um, but it did. It was the place where you get the biggest watermelons and the biggest tomatoes was out behind the barn. So right, that's it's so <laughs> cool. There's so many metaphors for this. Like in alchemy, in Western alchemy, there is a concept of philosopher's stone, which is uh -huh. the thing you you know through, when you when you go through a chemical process, you discover this philosopher's stone, which nobody really knows what it is it's like a metaphor right 
Jung thought that it's a state that emerges after we undergo shadow integration. But it's like the philosopher's stone is always in the sewer of our being. Mm. Mm. And only those who, you know, who are really brave uh, will find it. Mm. Wow, that's so interesting. So you also on your um, little bio, you describe yourself as a human excellence specialist. And um, since I've, I've known you, I think you've, you've done some pretty amazing things. I've seen videos of you doing gymnastics or acrobatics that look pretty damn impressive, I must say. So mm -hmm. is, that, is that part of what being a human excellence specialist is? <clears throat> So for me, human excellence, you know, it's not about like being successful or wealthy or good looking. It's a whole, it's like considering the whole sort of thing. And it's, it has more to do with the internal than the external, right? So um, for me, you know, human evolution is like psycho-spiritual in nature. It's when we kind of look at like our body, mind and spirit, and we have them kind of working in unison. And for me, like, for example, physical disciplines, um, you know, while not everybody is maybe like a physical kind of like athlete, um, I think it's, it's important for us to be kind to ourselves on every level and to kind of attend to every uh, facet of our being, both physical and mental and spiritual. So for me, human excellence is is about that. And it's about, um, you know, just kind of expanding our potential. And to me personally, and also from the perspective of all of these traditions that I've been kind of um, imbued, how do I say, like surrounded with, or mm -hmm. uh, it, it all comes from personal integrity. So it's the, you know if you're an integrous person then you will like yourself if you do things that are not integrous that are not authentic you alienate yourself from yourself right so so that's like a kind of so human excellence you know that's what it means it's like holistic kind of transformation and everybody can sort of get there um and, you know, actually, there is a really uh, one thing that I use, which is something you created, is the ease strategy. And I mm -hmm. use this a lot for all my clients, like for everybody, whether they're trying to kind of um, jumpstart meditation practice or physical routine. It's such a wonderful um, strategy because anything that's seems like too big or too hard for us to kind of get into it all if we just focus on baby steps um for those who didn't uh hear about this strategy I, you have a video i, on I did a podcast out just a few yeah weeks ago, actually. i saw that yeah so, okay, so that's yeah. something that's like really i even use it and i mean this yeah. is also like there is a philosophy kaizen um oh, yeah. Yeah. japanese kaizen. philosophy which is like yeah. baby steps it's like anything you want to kind of become proficient in you start by little baby steps no matter how ridiculous a small step is yeah. and then you just build on from there and there is you will inevitably develop tony robbins uh, borrowed kaizen and called it uh, kenai which is a constant and never-ending improvement oh and interesting i wanted to have an american sort of term for the same concept but just you know to say yeah it's what i'm doing is good and how do we make it better? You know, how do we make it a little bit better? How do we improve a little bit, a little bit more? 
it's good. And how do we make it better? So that that idea of constant never-ending improvement is really valuable. And one of the reasons that the Japanese did so well after World War II, because Kaizen is that that principle, and they you know imbued it into their factories and their cars and always making a little bit little bit better. Um, and that's also, I think, pretty clearly uh, when I think of you, Lana Popovich. That's you know you <laughs> you you're one of those people that endlessly curious about new things I and mean, whenever i've seen something and caught up with you on facebook or whatever it's like she's doing what where what <laughs> it's, it's like i thought i thought you were an interior designer i thought you were a, an nlp it's like weren't you an interior designer am i remembering yeah that? i i have a degree in interior design and then i have a master's in industrial design um I mean, I definitely have an artistic streak, creative streak, and then I have, again, you know, I, I guess it's, uh, it is, it's curiosity, and anything that I've done, like, it does require an element of discipline, and the thing that is helpful, I actually just made a post about discipline and how important it is, um, but uh, when we first find something that we like you know there is this kind of initial again that attachment kicks in like mm -hmm. oh this is so great and then you start to see things you don't like about it and then you know then you kind of fall off the wagon or you go and find something else but I think like if we really stick through things and we kind of um, apply some of that discipline and accept the difficult part about things or like unappealing things we inevitably find some kind of um Again, it's like it's like doing the shadow. Like there is like a gold at the end of it, and mm -hmm. so I think with that curiosity, I think I get like a surge of dopamine because as I go deeper into things, there is always something that I get out of it that's very fulfilling. Because it's for me, anything that I do, it's about like discovering myself mm -hmm. and kind of you know, there like Lana who does martial arts or whatever you know, acro yoga or something is a little bit, it's it's one aspect. And the Lana that reads these obscure books on alchemy, that's like a different aspect, but it's, I try to kind of um, give voice and channel to these different personalities. And actually that, that brings uh, to mind this little exercise that I recently created. Actually, my boyfriend and I ended up doing it, which, uh, can be like this can be actually very helpful to coaches as well um working with clients but also for their own kind of practice is the shadow when it doesn't have a channel some some shadowy aspect when it does not have a channel it's more likely to kind of burst forth forcefully in its own way and it usually happens in a way that uh you know we don't like it so there is a way to kind of like what I did is I did this little hypnotic induction where I invited the part of me, like for me, it's actually, I deal with a little bit of self-sabotage and think <laughs> sometimes. So I invited the part of me that generates self-sabotage and I kind of ask, asked it to um, be channeled through my hands as I was working on a clay, on the, you know, just molding something. And my boyfriend and I, we spent an hour working on that and we kind of like each I mean it was it became just like really meditative very absorbed process but that's like another creative way to uh, to give shadow uh, an opportunity to express itself 
hmm. to kind of channel it. And we could do it in any way. It can be done, you know, in the bedroom under the guise of some kind of role-playing fantasy, you know, or uh, again, like we give ourselves an opportunity mm -hmm. to be another kind of person, uh, even a problematic person, but in, in, the, in the context or in a, in a vessel where like it's a safe space to allow that uh, archetype to present itself. I don't know if I'm explaining this yeah. right yeah so, but that's something yeah. that's very helpful uh i found it to be helpful and you know yet another way to kind of engage the the shadow that's self. great so lana if people want to get hold of you what's the best way for them to do that uh email or i'm actually very active on instagram i post up i post um content regularly there um they could just yeah, but I would say also have a website so we can post all that. What is your website? It's PS Alchemy, standing for Psychosomatic Alchemy. So it's psalchemy.com. Great. We'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate having you. Thank here. you for having fantastic. me. Fantastic. Really great. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks. Thanks.